0: I think, given our daughters the opportunity to to fall in love with something and and be passionate about it. And maybe it's cattle, maybe it's goats or or gardening. I mean, whatever. but the fact that they're going to have that opportunity in the rural lifestyle that we have, I think is is really powerful. Um, and and I think there's also just a lot to be learned from understanding the the understanding the nature around them.
1: A whole new era of communication in the beef industry is coming. Now, you have the brightest minds of the global beef industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to the farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Beef Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. Contact us for time and labor-saving solutions. Welcome. Welcome to the Beef Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting edge insights and everything that's working in the global beef industry. We have a time and labor saving product for you. Beef and Dairy Agrislat by Healthy Farms is your solution. No more lugging jugs around the barn every month. With Beef and Dairy Agrislat, you simply drop the slat through the floor twice a year and it works to break down solids, reduces crusting and forming. To learn more, visit MyHealthyFarms.com.
2: Welcome to the Beef Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandy Buzzard, and it's my pleasure to bring you the trending issues and topics with the best and brightest minds in the beef industry. Today, we have a special guest on our episode. He is the USA Commercial Director for Gigatech USA, a swine technology company, but he is also the co-owner of High Bar Cattle Company, a purebred Yelvian balancer seed stock operation. He grew up on a diversified livestock and crop farm in Northwest Ohio and traveled west to Kansas to compete on the livestock judging teams at Butler Community College and Kansas State University, where he earned his bachelor's masterate, and doctorate degree, doctorate in animal science with a focus on swine nutrition and reproduction. He now resides in Greeley, Kansas, and is here to speak with us today about all the things that happen on our, on our ranch. Y'all, please welcome my husband and business partner, Hyatt Frobo's. (laughs) Enter stage left. I planned that. So um, viewers, those of you who are watching, um, thanks for being here. And we're excited to have Hyatt on. Um, Apparently, you have been a requested guest. So that was interesting for me to learn. But So to start off with, we're just going to jump right into the questions here. Um, Can you tell us about how you got involved in the beef industry? I gave a little bit of background on how you grew up, but how you got involved in the beef industry and your career path so far, and I guess what you're doing these days.
0: Well, a uh, pleasure to be here and, uh, appreciate the uh, interest in our kind of our insider, uh, baseball on how our operation is working in our life. But, uh, my background actually really started in the beef industry, uh, growing up in Northwest Ohio, our family had a cattle operation, cow, calf and, and feedlot. Um, and so I really was, was raised in that environment, uh, I had a passion as well for the swine industry and that's what led me down some of my educational path but i knew that uh probably at the end of the day i I wanted to not only work in in one species but have the opportunity to stay involved in another species and so uh in my day job of of swine i don't get the opportunity to to have pigs and so it's worked out nicely to be able to grow our cattle business because i have a mutual passion in that species and uh, so we've uh, adapted to the opportunities that have presented themselves here in Eastern Kansas and excited about what the next uh, roads look like for that.
2: So you mentioned that we don't have pigs for a multitude of reasons, but one being that you you work because of biosecurity, we can't have pigs here at the house because you have to take you have to give conscious awareness to that between biosecurity between pigs at our house and pigs on a farm. So, What are some of the unique challenges and rewards of raising beef cattle compared to working with hogs for our audience members?
0: Yeah, so uh, obviously there's uh, some key differences, but some similarities between beef and swine. I would say uh, one of the things that's that's nice about a hog farm in a lot of ways is that when the weather's pretty nasty, uh, you're going into a hog farm and typically showering in, you're changing clothes, and you're in a covered, ventilated environment where the ventilation is uh, prepared to be good for the pigs and for the people. Uh, not so much in the beef cattle industry. So we get the the highs and the lows because cattle are raised almost uh, exclusively outdoors. And, and on our ranch, it is pretty much all outdoors with a few shelters that we have. Um, so that comes with some benefits, you know, when we get the chance to ride through pastures in the sunshine and, and nice weather, it sure seems really rewarding and nice. But when you're dealing with uh, frozen waters or dealing with muddy conditions when you're putting out hay or the heat of the summer when the cattle are really hot and have fly issues, I would say that uh, there's plenty of downsides to, to that as well. So I think it comes back to just different species being raised in different environments. And we love that we can have our cattle outside and in the type of ranching environment that we love, but it definitely comes with its challenges because we are so much more dependent on how the weather behaves. And uh, you know, most recently we've been dealing with a pretty severe drought in the Midwest, and you know, the need for water to barely have enough food and and be able to you know feed the animals through the winter is a challenge that is pretty stressful because there's only so much you can do about it, and you'd have to just adapt to the changing environment around you.
2: Yeah, August and February are really not fun months for having beef cattle, at least where we live, because of the triple degree heat and humidity. In August and then February. February is the August of winter, basically. So when it's twenty below,
0: for me, the I guess another one that that I guess strikes close to home for me is with my training in nutrition. Um, I, I obviously have the most depth of knowledge as working with monogastrics and and swine in particular, but by owning cattle and working with cattle that are at all stages from gestation to lactation to then developing our bulls for marketing. Um, I get to deal with the challenges of ruminant nutrition, which I'm, I will be admittedly not as uh, expert in, but uh, I think that I, I have a lot more respect for ruminant nutritionists in hindsight because the monogastric stomachs are a little easier because we don't have to deal with forage uh, and bulkiness of ingredients and such near as much. So dealing with mineral, mineral nutrition and forage nutrition, as well as still trying to you know maximize gains in calves and growing cattle, is something that I enjoy the challenge of, but it's definitely an area that I have a lot to learn. And so I lean heavily on people that I trust in the industry that can maybe help double check that I'm going the right direction on things.
2: Yeah, I think that's something that we both learned is that like, I mean, it takes a long time to get up to speed with things. Like you don't just jump into having a ranch and then all of a sudden you got everything mastered. Like it takes a lot of work to stay up with technology or new practice or something like that. So speaking, going off of what you said there, how do you or are we stay up, like, how do you stay up to date with latest advancements and the best practices in the beef industry? Well, uh,
0: as someone who is admittedly time poor, I think this is a challenge for me because uh, I don't exactly just have a lot of time to kill to dedicate to you know the the newest publications in, in the industry. But uh, what I typically would use is uh, Social media. I would use subscriptions to industry newsletters that might be as wide ranging as from uh, things from our Gelvie Breed Association to to uh, subscriptions to beef beef industry magazines. Uh, those are those are some of the electronic options that I use to get my daily dose of what's new and and interesting. And then I also subscribe to a few audio options that are that are maybe market reports or giving me a pulse of what the price of, of both ingredients and stocker cattle, fat cattle are, are doing. Uh, and then I also watch I watch what other producers are doing. You know, I, I probably have more and more respect for the ranchers who've been doing this a lot longer than me than I, that I the older I get, the more I appreciate how uh, people who have, ranchers have been doing this for their whole life, have a pretty keen eye for understanding the nature around them. And I've learned to watch and see what they're doing because there's usually a pretty good reason why they're doing something at that time. And they sometimes something that maybe didn't make sense to me when it was in an animal science textbook, um, when I see how they've reacted to certain changing conditions, uh, I can learn from a lot of the ranchers around me and try to avoid some of the unnecessary pitfalls that would befall us otherwise.
2: You mentioned listening to like market cattle market information and like, Stalkers and things like that. I don't think we talked about that in the upfront. Like we, I said that we have a seed stock operation. We have purebred gelvy and balancer cattle. We sell bulls and heifers, but we also do grass cattle. We've done grass cattle the past couple of years. Do you want to talk a little bit about like yeah. what we do and why we now have have stalkers when we, that was not really our business plan when we got started seven-ish years ago.
0: Yeah, so uh, I know that uh, we may talk a little bit more about some some future goals and such. But one pro or con to to our situation is that we we don't have a, a large land base that we own ourselves. We we moved to this area. My wife's from this area, but uh, we didn't have a, a land base that we inherited or anything. So we're we're building our operation from the ground up, and what that involves is is renting, cash renting land from from neighbors and and area landowners to, to graze our cattle on. And depending on the way those relationships are structured, they they can't always be counted on as a long-term guarantee that we will have that into perpetuity. And so how we approach uh, balancing our needs and desires with the, the changing rental situation. Uh, one, one hedge that we've done that's I think worked well for us thus far is we don't know what the weather is gonna provide for us as far as annual forage um, and so instead of trying to grow our seed stock operation at, to maximize all of the grass we have, what we've tried to do is have a flexible grazing option with grass cattle in the summer, buying yearlings and grazing them through the summer in conjunction with our cow-calf operation. That's essentially allowed us to better utilize the grass that we have and and maximize the value of our of our cash rent situation. However, if we have a drought year where we can't Graze as many cattle. We just adjust how many we purchase in April or May or in springtime, and uh, if if we do lose some rented ground, that's that's something that we can opt not to purchase each year because that's an annual purchase. Whereas our seed stock operation is our, our high value genetics that we've invested in over time, and we we really don't want to be forced into a situation where we have to, we uh, to get have to get rid of those that. Girls. Yeah, We don't
2: want to liquidate those. Um, yeah, I just think that that's interesting to share.
0: it it brings some different challenges to our operation because we're dealing with cattle that we for the most part didn't raise Um, so we're dealing with uncertain health backgrounds uh, how to how to get them started up on grass and supplemented properly but also we're trying to maximize return and minimize costs so there's some cost management to market opportunities whether or not to use some of the uh, hedging practices that are available in the industry today we waffle on those and, and it really, it's it's gotten me more in tune with the changing cattle market because in our seed stock operation, we're we're setting the price of our bulls and and trying to, I guess, court interested prospects to, that we have bulls that are high enough quality to, to serve their needs. But in the terms of our grass cattle, we're, we really have a commodity product. And so uh, to some extent, we have to be price takers on that. But when we market them strategically can matter as to how it falls into the cattle price cycle. And the thing that's really in our control is minimizing cost. And so we want to maximize revenue by doing that. But we have a a totally different pricing situation with those cattle as compared to the purebred animals we're trying to market as our primary business.
2: Yeah. And earlier you said that like we something about like when we're growing, we're we're not growing the seed stock because we're getting the grass cattle in those years. We have like more grass like we are growing the seed stock business every year. Like we retain heifers. We are like, we replace the ones that are cold out and then we grow a little bit every year, but we're not expanding and growing exponentially. We're taking some of that growth and moving it over to the grass cattle so we can be more liquid in there while it's still maintaining like a conservative amount of growth in the seed stock herd. Like we're not just staying at a constant right. level. So there's growth happening. It's just not like, Oh we have a lot of grass. Let's buy 30 cows.
0: In my you know in my my experience I've seen some other people that have entered into the seed stock cattle business and grown really quickly and I think sometimes that comes at the cost of quality or the ability to manage things the way you want. So with all of the things that we have going on in our lives and my day job and our kids it's I think trying to grow the purebred and purebred side of our business too quickly would be questionable in terms of whether we could maintain the quality that we expect. Yep. And so we've been trying to grow that the right way, not just at a certain clip. Uh, and I think it's ultimately benefited the, the cattle that we have to offer. But it, it sometimes is uh, two steps forward, one step back as well.
2: Yeah. So just transitioning a little bit to this, like you're talking about staying up to date and like different newsletters. You mentioned podcasts. I hope that you listen to the beef podcast, um, things that you listen to, to learn more about practices and advancements, things like that. Uh, do you want to talk about some of the sustainable practices that we do on our ranch um, to minimize environmental impact and also things that promote animal welfare?
0: Yeah. Uh, from a sustainability standpoint, uh, I, I know you may be a, more of an expert on some of these things than I am, so I may let you comment further. But the two things that come to mind for me immediately is the way that we we rotationally graze our ground is we we've really structured the ground that we both own and rent so that we can maximize uh, grazing intensity over short periods and then maximize the rest periods in between those grazes and we have different species of grasses on different places and we're trying to graze them at the right time and not overgraze them by you know taking half leaving half and then resting that as long as possible before we need to come back to it if there's additional forage available so we've really strategically tried to manage the the size of our of our pastures with the movements of cattle so that we don't have to put them in a trailer and haul them all over the country because that's obviously not very sustainable but it also uh, is just practical because of labor and time and if we can walk them to the next pasture that's sure advantageous but there's important limitations like water and, and when we had a drought year um you know making sure that our ponds have enough water in each of these pastures so that we can effectively rotate that's that's a limit um Another thing that that I would say is sustainable is the fact that we're trying to maximize the number of days that we can graze per year. You know, In in our mind, the less hay we have to harvest, the less supplemental forage that we have to provide, the better. If we can have the cattle out doing their job, and as long as we have forage that's nutritionally good enough or supplemented properly that they can be out doing their thing in their natural environment, that's our goal. And so we haven't achieved the ability to feed or to graze 360 days a year. But I think in most years, we're we're really grazing from April 1st all the way through till about February 1st. And so we've got a 60 to 90 day period depending on the climate that we do have to supplement. But I've been pretty happy with the fact that with our breeding program for our cows, at least, we've been able to keep them on grass, you know, a very high percentage of the year and and maybe maybe more so than some of our our neighbors that rely more heavily on feeding hay.
2: And part of that, I mean, there's, multiple things that go into that part of that is that we fall calf. it's like we don't have to like there's some nutritional needs that our herd doesn't need as what well spring calving would and there's some takeaway like
0: yeah it's just different though i mean yeah some would argue that spring calvers have a benefit there because the cows are on a lower plane of nutrition yeah. in the winter months whereas our cows are lactating so we do fall calve and that's been a, a choice that we made as a on multiple levels one to to maximize our calving success because we have Relatively mild weather at the time when we're calving in September and October, as compared to spring calvers that we'll be calving during the winter months. A lot of times, um, for us though, the downside to that is is we do have cows in mid lactation during those months that we do have to supplement, and that comes with a cost. Yeah, but we we also do it as a way to provide the best cattle for our our customers and. A lot of bull buyers, myself included, when we're purchasing bulls, I would prefer an older bull that's able to cover more cows and is more mature and, and ready, not one that maybe is at risk of of losing condition in their first year and being able to cover a limited number of cows. So we we fall calves primarily so that we can offer 18, 15 to 18-month-old bulls or greater to most of our customers. The vast majority of producers in our area are still spring calvers, and they're looking for bulls during that. January, February, March, April time period. And so the fact that we can have a more uh, age advantaged bull to offer is to me a competitive advantage over some of our contemporaries who market just yearling bulls that have to push them a little harder to get to a marketable weight.
2: Something that Hyatt has left out about why we are fall calving is when we first got started, um, that was also the time that he like finished his PhD and he was um, Hyatt's job requires him to travel quite a bit in that like winter, spring calving time. And um, I'm not calving by myself in the cold winter months. So um, that was also a significant um, player in why we we're fall calving. It was a multitude of things, but those were two of the big players. So um, I don't really have a lot to add about the sustainable practices. We're, I'm very big on rotational grazing. Hyatt and I, we affectionately call ourselves grass geeks. Um, Cause I just love seeing talls down to grass and we turn them out in May or, or mid April, maybe May. Um, and then we really like to make sure that we're leaving like half of it behind, um, so that it can get a really good root system, grow down in the soil. That improves the water holding capacity of the soil, which in turn improves the nutrient content and capacity of the soil. So it's really like all linked together. It's not just the grass; it's the stuff below the surface that you know that the grass and the roots also play a a, a role in. So um, we have we can we're we are a long way from being like top of the line environmentally sustainable but we are working every year um we started employing cover crops on the the small amount of crop acres that we have um and doing some no-till and things like that so we're always trying new things to try to um, be more sustainable and get more out of the get more by putting fewer inputs so um moving on we've talked a little bit about the future but are like what specific goals of ours do you want to share about the future of our ranch
0: well, um, I, I think Brandy and I are fairly aligned in the fact that we do want to continue to grow mm-hmm. the number of bulls and the quality of bulls that we can offer. Uh, because of the you know, the fact that we were starting from scratch and that we wanted to grow the right way, we didn't just jump right into having a, mm-hmm. a live auction or even an online auction for bulls. Um, we've been private treaty marketing our bulls and that's, that's served us well. It's given us a chance to get to know our customers mm-hmm. better and hopefully be able to understand their needs and how we can make better cattle for them. Uh, but I think it's both of our goals is to get to that point where we could offer enough cattle to, to fill a, an auction area where we want to have them sold at. And so that's the, the goal we're moving towards and, and hope to do so in the coming years. Uh, that being said, I, I'd also be remiss if I didn't say that I, I want us to be seen as one of if not the go-to supplier of gelve and balancer genetics for for people in our area I think we we have the ability to make that quality and I, I really want to have cattle that are rooted in the commercial goals that commercial cattlemen need. I obviously want them to also perform well in the feed yard and and my background with livestock judging and 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 caring about phenotype I, it's still important to me that they they that you like what they look like and so, I don't know that we are ever going to be totally chasing after ribbons in the show ring, but we're going to use the show right. ring as a marketing tool. And, and I think it's important that you like the cattle you have and that your customers right. uh, find your cattle you know, phenotypically attractive. And so that's definitely remains part of my goal. I don't want to grow to the point that we are compromising the quality right. standards that we've set for our cattle.
2: Right. And we don't have a live seal yet, like we've done private treaty for 70, 80, 90, this is like our fifth year, fourth, fourth, fourth year of private treaty sale. But this coming year, this fall, early winter, uh, we are actually going to have our first like private treaty open house. So we're excited about that. We've already started, we're trying to figure out what day or weekend that that is going to be in the early winter. Um, but we're excited about that with a, we've got a new barn going up that has like cattle showing pens. And um, so we're excited to have that growth and to be at the point where we can market more than, you know, a couple handfuls a year. So that's exciting for us to finally realize some of that growth that we've been working for since our first load of cows arrived in April 2016.
0: I mean, some of our other like performance-related goals, I mean, one that is really important to me is maximizing the maternal efficiency of our cows. And I, and I think the, a metric that that we try to use as a, as a re- reflection of how a cow's doing is pounds of calf weaned relative to her mature body weight. And it'd be my goal, we're not there yet, but it'd be my goal that if all of our cows could average over 50% of their their of their body weight in their calf weaned I, I consider that a major advantage a major advantage and something that could really speak to the efficiency of our of our cows but that takes time and takes selection and uh you know we're we're in the process of getting there but uh there's several other performance related metrics that that we would use but that's one that sticks out to me as pounds of calf weaned relative to the cow's body weight
2: yeah so lots of goals i mean we can't go through all of them because we don't have much time, but we'd know, like we
0: more can... land that we own. Yeah, that's a <laughs> we're that's a we're working on that too, but <laughs> land is cool. expensive and, and, uh, having land that fits our needs close to us close by. Is, is rarely available. So we're trying to stay, uh, in a position to where we can pounce on that when the opportunity presents itself.
2: That plays nicely into the next question. I don't know if you planned that or not, but it's a good segue into what advice we would give to some people who are interested in starting their own ranch or getting involved in the industry. And so like land is obviously something you need, either rented or owned, when you're going to get started in cattle ranching or an industry. And so I guess, <clears throat> what advice do you have? Do you have any advice for anybody? Is at I wish that we had. I don't know. <laughs> what do I want mean, to one, say?
0: That would choose, <laughs> one that would sure uh, help is if you marry someone that has a bunch of land. That's a good start, but we that, both, that we doesn't fail. that doesn't necessarily apply to us. We so.
2: both failed on that front. So, Neither one of us had any land.
0: For those of us that ha- that have a passion in in being involved in the beef industry, but don't have that advantage, I think you got to be pretty strategic and pre- have a pretty sharp pencil. Um, two things that I would recommend is a, a hell of a lot of patience. Because it's going to take time to build what you want and you're going to have to be well healed to uh, financially in a position to take advantage of opportunities. Um, I would really recommend though, that you, you stay open-minded and when an opportunity presents itself, sometimes you may need to walk through that door, even if it's not Mm -hmm. what you picture as perfect. I mean, we've, we've rented some pastures that are pretty sorry in terms of quality or fencing, and we've, we've had to make do with what, what opportunities we had, but they were, they were stepping stones to get us to where we are today. And we fully anticipate we're going to have to take more of those stepping stones until we get to where we want to be. But I think a lot of patience and, you know, trying to remain as nimble and flexible as you can, uh, so that you can evolve into what, what the industry gives you. And I mean, I I talked on this earlier a little bit too, but I would watch and learn from seasoned ranchers, especially those that have, you know, clearly been successful, uh, in spite of what they had in front of them. You know, there's there's some that are better uh, at really managing their cattle operation for profit and others that are just landowners. Um, those are two different things. But I think when you watch and learn from seasoned cattlemen, you you can see some of the things that they're doing and maybe understand better why they're doing it when you see it be successful. So I, I think even more than I see in the pit work industry, uh, the, there's so many nuances to cattle production that are so dependent on each operation that you have to watch and learn from other people because it's it's a softer science than maybe some other things that you can just learn in a classroom
2: yeah there's a quote or a saying or i don't know like a i don't know a mindset that's like be firm in your goals but flexible in the journey like and so i'd say that's something that we we really embody that like we know our big pie in the sky goal that we know we've already shared those big goals for our ranch um but like it's not always going to be like this perfect way that you get there not everything's going to fall easily into place or you might have to wait longer or look in a different way so i think that's that's like a short way to to kind of like yeah with to with, what
0: with my saying. my training in nutrition and and animal science i i want everything to fit into a box nicely and i want to be able to to crunch the numbers in an Excel spreadsheet and make sure that I'm making a, the right decision. But in in so many situations with our cattle operation, you have to be prepared to make those decisions in in a judgment, you know, in a snap moment because the market is up or because these ingredients are available and you need to take advantage of buying them because that opportunity is fleeting. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to make a decision on the fly because these cattle are looking different than, than what they were supposed to. So I've had to develop a rationale that is still to be prepared for the question or the situations that'll be in front of me with science at its core. But I need I need to not be paralyzed by indecision and just jump when when the opportunity is right for things to, to make the right decision for our cattle and our operation as a whole.
2: Yeah, flexibility is really important. Um, so that's all good advice. I think that's good advice. Um, transitioning a little bit, I don't think, did we mention this? We have... Um, I mean, we have children. We didn't talk about that, but we do have two daughters. Um, I guess this is transitioning a bit into a, like a new topic, but like how has raising cattle influenced our family dynamic and brought us, brought the question is brought us closer together. <laughs> I would like to hear this answer.
0: Well, uh, to be fair, we we did have cattle before we had kids. We did, so yeah. that, I mean, it's actually the kids have kind of uh to come after we started getting cattle, but in the midst of our growth of our operation and the changes we've had, you know, we've added kids to the mix and I would say it's pretty safe to say that that adds challenges. Yeah. Um, Because I know, for example, it's, it's really hard when one of us is engaged doing things with the cattle operation that we, we have to do because the, the just it's, it's part of the natural cycle of, of things we got to do to manage the cattle. Um, and the other one has to stay home to to watch the kid, and that that's been different ones of us at different times. But you know, when you've got a a bawling infant, uh, you can't necessarily go and and ride pastures w- with that going on, and so it's it's forced us to kind of divide and conquer, and and in some cases that's been really challenging. But I would say that we've we've had the benefit of seeing when we can bring the kids with us, and and we can have the kids with us and, and enjoying some of that. Um, it's brought us closer together as a family, too, because it's uh, it's fun to be able to do those things together and for our daughters to start to see the fruits of the labor and to see them uh, really enjoy being around the cattle and and the way we do things has a lot of rewarding dynamic to it as well.
2: Yeah, before we had kids, and but if you are watching online or something, these are our daughters. Um, Oakley. I'm showing a picture here, Oakley and Quincy. I don't know if it'll show there. Um, hang on. No, that didn't make it any better. Anyway, we have a six-year-old daughter who's named Oakley and a almost two-year-old daughter named Quincy, and they're the coolest thing ever. Um, but we, before we had kids, Hyatt and I did everything together for the cattle. We fed everything together. We would work cattle after we got off work, like out in the dark and the you know by the light of a spotlight in the barn. I mean, we did everything together and that was definitely a changed our dynamic when we had our first baby because like then we had her in December. So I was the one staying home with the bawling baby while he was out doing this feeding that, you know, that needed to be done. Although that first winter he was traveling a lot. So it was actually me and Quince, me and Oakley feeding a lot of cows, just the two of us in the feed truck. Um But that, I mean, it has changed the dynamic. It's been difficult, but it's something that like we wanted a family and we want to have cattle so we have to like you have to adjust and like we were just talking about being flexible like we have to be flexible so that's important um what values and lessons do you think the girls have gained from growing up so far in this environment like quincy isn't really gaining a lot of values at the age of 21 months but oakley definitely
0: yeah i mean speak to that i would say we're still on the on the front side of this we have an opportunity with the with the lifestyle that we have to teach our kids And and i think that's one of the biggest reasons why we are passionate about doing this is because brandy and i were both raised in in uh ranching and the livestock uh you know environment and there's just so many life skills that i think have helped set us up for success in our in our careers and in our lives and so uh we want to do that for our kids as well but um you know i think obviously hard work and and decision making i think are two that are are critical i i see too many people uh, decrying the younger generations for maybe not wanting to be able to work and 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 do things uh, that that maybe we have. So I, I think giving our daughters the opportunity to to fall in love with something and and be passionate about it, and maybe it's cattle, maybe it's goats or or gardening. I mean, whatever. But the fact that they're going to have that opportunity in the rural lifestyle that we have, I think, is is really powerful. Um, and and I think there's also just a lot to be learned from understanding the the understanding the nature around them i mean i'm not necessarily encouraging them to uh have to see cattle live and die but I, i think there is some values that come out of that that they understand the products that we're raising come from hard work and that you know when an animal dies it's both sad from an animal welfare standpoint but it's also part of mother nature and we we get the opportunity to to show them the importance of valuing life and and how we raise our animals so that we can try to give them the best lifestyle that that they can get
2: yeah and it doesn't and i mean heights speaking about life and death there's a lot of things between those that they see but like i think that you they can still be empathetic about life animal life and biology while also being realistic about it like i remember many years ago maybe three or four years ago death does happen on a ranch sadly and we had a, a heifer die and we had not it had just died that morning we hadn't gotten it out of the pen yet and i remember oakley and i were walking out to a different part of you know a different corral pen out here and she was little i mean she couldn't have been any older than three and um she was walking with me and she just looked over at it and went that cow dead and then just kept walking with me and it wasn't said like in a way that like she didn't like flip it it was kind of flippantly she very much is sad when we talk about if we lose an animal or a cap or something like that that's very sad for her but like she understood that that animal was dead and it didn't like traumatize her we didn't take her over there and like make her stare at it or anything or make her do a a necropsy on it but she just has accepted it that that's part of life on a ranch and it it's a kind of it's a sad thing we're not happy that the heifer died but like it's just for us it's one of those small moments of raising your children on a ranch so like we can look back and talk about how they've she's been involved she was little like when i say that oakley was feeding cows with me i mean like at one week old, Oakley was feeding cows with me in the feed truck. And she's done that her whole life. Quincy, pretty much, I mean, she was born in August when we were feeding cows in August, but Quincy was in the barn with me, um, cleaning horse stalls at a week old and has bounced along the feed truck in the car seat. So like they're very much raised in it. And they seemingly enjoy it so far, so but the Dak Cow our, uh, that Cow Dead will always be one of my favorite <laughs> memories.
0: So we kind of skimmed over the fact that we also have a freezer beef business, yeah, and we sell custom freezer beef to customers uh, around the country. We're
2: very diversified,
0: yeah, and and it's it's actually been a really nice uh, additive part of our business because we'll we'll have bulls that aren't good enough to sell. Yeah, I mean that we don't you know sell hundred percent of our male calves as commercial bulls. Anybody that's listening would call BS if if I said that we were. So on those that we do have to, to cut, you know we feed them out and we market them through a different channel where we think we can gain some additional value by feeding them our way. And I grew up feeding cattle, so I feel pretty comfortable doing that. And Brandy does a great job of marketing the freezer beef, but I get a real kick out of Oakley because when we take a cow to the butcher shop, to, to the packing plant, uh, a <laughs> local butcher, uh, she calls it the cow chopper. Yeah. And so when she's talking about one that is going that direction, it's, you know, we, we took that cow to the cow chopper. And I think that's just yeah. as funny as the
2: it's, cow did. I mean, she understands what's happening. Like, she knows that they're going to go and be, I wouldn't say the word slaughtered to her, but they're going to go to slaughter. And she's fine with it. And but she doesn't speak like it's traumatized her or anything like that. She she's doesn't just matter of fact. Yeah, she's a matter of fact. And um, it's funny because there's the cow chopper, and then uh, like two summers ago, or maybe last summer, I had bought four hens that I thought were hens, and they, after they matured, they turned out turned out to be roosters, and so Hyatt butchered them in the yard, and so Hyatt Oakley called him the chicken chopper. So like, we're very, <laughs> we're very comfortable with the circle of life on our ranch. Um, And that kind of plays into the... I mean, I already touched on this one, but it says, like, can we share ways in which the family actively participates in the daily operations of the ranch? I feel like we've kind of touched on that. Like, we all, in the winter... Like, this past winter, Quincy was just, like, a month, a year and a half-ish, and Oakley was right at six. And so we, on Saturdays and Sundays, um, Hyatt, one day he would generally go feed on his own and roll out hay and stuff like that. And then, like, the other day, we would all go as a family. And in the summer, usually... That's how it is, is like one day we will all go on the weekend together and the other day um, Hyatt will just go by himself. And then during the week, it's either me or our herdsmen are going to do those things. But like we try to have them be involved with it in small ways every day. Like this morning, Oakley helped me feed all the she fed all the horses. She helped me feed the chickens. And, you know, she's out there around the feeder cattle and stuff every day, like not in with them, but like around the cattle every day. So they're exposed every day. We try to do that as a family at least once a week.
0: Our, our kids get to spend a lot of time on the back of a flatbed feed truck as we're feeding the cattle here at our place. They're either ones being fed out or bulls were developing. And Quincy, is uh, just under two right now, she she has a pretty high level of cattle mineral intake, and <laughs> and she likes she likes eating the protein pellets. So she she probably gets a decent amount of supplementation on the side for that. And I remember Oakley when she was that age doing it too. And you know, as long as it's not anything that's going to be toxic to them, I don't get too worked up about it, but I, I think it's well, funny. None
2: of toxic. I know,
0: but I think it's I think it's just funny how much uh, she enjoys flinging grain around and, and, and tasting it and just uh, the enjoyment of that while, while we're doing the daily tasks.
2: She took a big old mouthful of mineral, like a, just regular mineral, about th- a month ago, and like came crying to me because it was like she she took a very large bite. She was not very happy with it. So I think she learned her lesson. Okay, so we're talking about the family dynamic and how we all have, you know, worked together and things like that. What role does your spouse, aka me, play in the day-to-day operations of the ranch? And how does that involvement contribute to the success of the operation?
0: Well, I, I'd start by saying that I think Brandy and I share a lot of the roles and, and we can be interchangeable when need be for, for various things. I mean... I don't know if I don't know of anything that we do on the ranch that that you can't do when you need to. It's just a matter of we we have to divide and conquer because of our family and the fact that we both have careers. So um, there's certainly things that I do maybe more and she does maybe more. I mean, I Randy does a, a really important role of helping us market cattle. I, she's very good at that. She's very active in 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 a lot of the circles to where we can get our cattle more visible. She finds. Uh, Opportunities for us to market freezer beef, and those are things that I I would not do very well. So I, I appreciate that and helping us market and picture bulls and uh, publish that we have them available. Um, those are things that she takes a very active role in that that I I fail to do. But like I said earlier, she's she's involved in the feeding of the cattle and sourcing of the forage or supplement and and making sure that we move cattle on horseback. I mean, uh, she's every bit as capable as I am on any of those things and then some. So. Um, I think, yeah, we, we do everything we need to, uh, we can, we can both do all of the tasks on the farm, on the ranch. Uh, but it just works out that we kind of divide and conquer where it makes the most sense.
2: I don't know that I could do everything. I'm not the Hyatt is, I mean, has the training in nutrition and even though your degree isn't in like beef nutrition, like Hyatt has that basic nutrition foundation in terms of that and you have the contacts for that so like i'm very comfortable saying that at this stage i couldn't do it that doesn't mean i couldn't figure out how to do it but it's definitely not something that if, if i if i was like okay Hyatt, you go move cows and i'll stay and formulate rations i don't think that, that would work very well it'd probably just be better for me to move cows and Hyatt to formulate the rations but um i mean from a day-to-day standpoint i think that you know the head's really well hyatt um does a really good job of researching different feet like all of our feed like all the nutrition and the inputs and things like that and he works with a beef nutritionist but like you know feed can get really expensive so looking at different ingredients that you can substitute when we are feeding supplement we've switched from corn uh, corn silage to sorghum silage and using forage sorghum and we had a variety of reasons for doing that and high you know made that decision based on our land availability and the things that it would um how it would benefit our operation in terms of feeding silage to our cows in the fall. So like that's definitely a really valuable asset i guess that he brings to the table whereas like day to day i am you know i'm doing a lot of our chores around the ranch because hyatt's role his f- full-time job he's in an office role and working and um my full fo- i don't currently have like a full-time job i'm an independent self-contractor so um you know when we are rotating pastures every two three weeks like i'm going to do that i'm saddled up me and the herdsman, our herdsman cory are going to make those moves or if we need to go check that you know the eyes on the grass cattle to see if there's some pink eye in there and, and we need a couple people to doctor um our herdsman cory is doctoring and then i am assisting if if i can so and then on big work days like when we process the stalkers, like we were both doing that so it's i mean that's the nature of having a ranch is like no day no one day is the same um but we i think we fill out our roles like we both know where we have strengths and how we can both provide those to the ranch so um that was a long answer to kind of just support what he was saying but you know what are our hopes and aspirations for our family's involvement in the beef cattle industry and how do you envision it shaping our legacy and i do want to add something real quick about like our family's involvement because our family is not just high at I and our daughters like our herdsman is my cousin Corey, and before when we were just getting started and it was you know we got our first 25 cows or something like that like We didn't have a lot of land rented. We didn't have a lot of facilities. Like we were very just getting started. And like my dad, who only lives like a mile from us, um, he was here working cattle with us all the time. He provided advice. And so like he is not like a profit share in the ranch or anything like that, but he played a a gigantic role in helping us get to the, the place where we are. He came over and offered advice. When Hyatt tra- you know when Hyatt was traveling very early on, and like we had a, like a small baby, he would come. He still does when Hyatt's traveling or when I'm traveling. When when one of us is gone, he comes over and helps with chores because it's difficult to like manage two children running around and also run a tractor or a skid loader. Just we have to be cognizant, and he will come over and do that, you know, help in whatever role we need. Multiple nights a week, so I think that that can't be. Um, overstated how important family has been to the growing our ranch. Hyatt's parents have both come from Ohio at different times of the year and like helped us. um, You know, they were here processing cattle when Oakley was like two months old or something like that. And she was in the, she was in the feed truck in the heat while we were working cattle and I would get in and feed her and get back out and Hyatt's mom come and Hyatt's mom and sister come and help us AI in the fall every year. And so I, I think that it can't be, stated enough how we have had a tremendous amount of help and support and assistance from both sides of our family that have really helped us get to where we're at and we're immensely appreciated that so even if they aren't some of our family members aren't involved on like a day-to-day basis um they're still very much an integral part of the operation that we would not you know that we value and appreciate them very much and so anyway i'll get back to the question of like uh, what are your hopes for our family's involvement in the beef industry moving forward, and then like how do you envision it shaping our legacy?
0: Well, I, I, I'll, I'll try to keep it short here, but I guess <laughs> uh, implied that we we're trying to grow our operation and grow our land base and our our cattle operation so that we have something to hand off to our kids, and and so that's our goal. Uh, you know, we're going to grow that the right way that makes sense with, for our life and 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 on how we can market the cattle but ultimately we're we're trying to give ourselves something to give to the next generation and hopefully it's something they want to take over and and continue or do it their way but but also you know we want to maybe give them some of the things that we didn't have the opportunity to have as as a a good handoff in getting them started in the beef industry and so uh i hope that we'll be in a position where we can do that and to what extent i think it may be uh, unclear i don't know if it's going to be something that we can bring our daughters back in full time from the get go, but if we can grow to that point and it makes good business sense to do so, then awesome. But uh, even if it's just the lifestyle and the the education that they can get from it and they decide to go a different direction, you know, we'll respect that too. Uh, but we want to give them the opportunity to come back to it and kind of cement our legacy and and continue to be seen as, you know, a go-to breeder for really high quality cattle for commercial producers.
2: I have my sights set on retiring before I'm like 80, so I hope that they've decided <laughs> what they want to do before then, because you know, like, we're not doing this just for them. Hyatt and I both, when we first met, we both wanted to be involved in the cattle industry and and be involved in production ag. So, we're definitely not doing this just for our, so our daughters have a ranch. And and I don't mean that that's what you were are getting at. I'm just speaking from like my point of view is like. I'm not doing this just so they can have a ranch. I genuinely love. I love moving cattle gathering in the morning as the sun comes up over the lands and the land that we lease is gorgeous. It's a few things that I enjoy more than being horseback around cattle or just being horseback in general. But, you know, I don't want to do it until I'm 80. I want to be maybe involved and like be able to walk out on the back porch and drink a cup of tea and like look at the cows, but maybe I'm not in charge of moving them when I'm 80 also. So I think that you know, definitely, if they want to come back, we would love to have them back. But I want to know before I'm eighty if they're coming back. So, um, but want them to be involved, but also want them to be able to chase their own goals and dreams. And if they're if their dreams aren't involved in agriculture, that's okay because they will have grown up getting that exposure and that appreciation for the land and the livestock. Um, so that is the end of our like regular questions or the focus questions focus on you and our ranch. And so I have wrap-up questions that we ask these of every guest, and I know that you know these questions because you listen to all the episodes of the Beef Podcast, so you are kind of prepared for these. Um, so the first one, they're not rapid-fire questions because I don't ask them fast enough. But what is your favorite beef-related book or resource? Right.
0: Uh, I was I was thinking about this, and uh, you know, I, I this is back to being time poor. I, I maybe don't get the chance to to read a lot of beef-related books, but. Uh, one comes to mind that I, I, Brandy was, was good enough to find for me that I, I'd heard of a while back, but uh, is an old book called The Battle of Bull Runts, and and as an animal breeder, I find it a very interesting topic because it, it dates back to the days when Herefords were one of the one of the few breeds that were really popular in the U.S. and they had a genetic defect called snorter dwarfism that was that was running rampant through the gene pool prior to a lot of the genetic technology we have today, and. It's a really fascinating read to understand how they were able to track back to the uh, the first animals that exhibited that uh, defect, a recessive gene, and how they were able to get it out of the Hereford industry uh, back in the 1920s, 30s, 40s. And uh, I think that's a, just a fascinating tale that as an animal breeder, I, I think is really neat to see how people dealt with those issues in animal selection prior to all of the technology that's available today.
2: So I had to look for a long time for this book, y'all. I put it in the, it will be in the show notes, the name of it, but good luck finding one because I, he told me about this book like 10 years ago. We've been together almost 15 and I have been looking for this book availability for years and years and years. And I finally got it. Was it for your birthday or anniversary this, or Christmas or anniversary? I can't remember. I can't. Sometime in the last year I got this book and like to make Hyatt like be really excited and smile and like say, wow, like. It's a big deal to get like that kind of reaction out of a gift. And so I nailed it. I was so proud of myself. Um, I will never read the book. Um, he can just read it and tell me about it. But I was really happy. I I nailed it. Um, so that's your book one. What is a book not related to the beef industry that you are currently reading or in your case that you might be listening to? Hyatt likes to read, listen to books on like um, audiobooks. audiobooks. That's what they're called.
0: Yeah. So I do have some windshield time for my my job and, and that. When I'm not on the phone, which is rare anymore, uh, and I'm driving, I I tend to listen to audiobooks. And uh, (laughs) an author that I've been following really closely is Peter Zeihan. He's a geopolitical strategist, uh, and he has some really fascinating books on where different shifting politics in in the world are are leading. And uh, uh, I'm just finishing up The Accidental Superpower. He's actually got four books, um, but that one was his first book. And I... I didn't read that one first. I read, I'm, I'm, but I'm coming back around to it, and it's really interesting. Um, but I, I enjoy under, a better understanding geopolitics and how different uh, the economics of different countries all fit together and affect their decisions.
2: What was that one called? I'll put it in the show notes. The
0: accidental superpower. Okay, the accidental
2: accidental superpower by Peter Zaihan. It's good. listeners and audience Zaihan Zaihan. Did you said that?
0: Z-E-I-H-A-N. I
2: spelled it wrong, but the book title will be in the footnotes for you to look up. Um, and so that's uh, um Oh, wait, there's one more rapid fire question. I'm so unprepared right now. Okay. So I asked this question of everybody. What is a trait of someone you know, like someone you look up to, think of one of their traits that allows them to be successful? Like a mentor or something like that, or, or your wife. That didn't even get a smile. For those of you who can't see, it did not even get a smile. I,
0: I'm trying to, to decide which one I, I guess I would focus on, but um, I think learning from others is, is something that I come to appreciate more and more as I get older in my career. I, I'm learning from those who came before me.
2: That's a trait of some, from that someone else has.
0: Yeah, being open-minded enough to to watch others and emulate them. Yeah. Oh, okay, got
2: it. I see the the, the angle now. Okay. Well, that is all that we have time for today. Thank you, Hyatt, for taking time out of your day to join us. I do appreciate that because I know that you are very busy pretty much all the time. So I appreciate it. Um, thank you for joining us on the Beef Podcast. If pe- Can I answer this question? If people want to find us or learn more about their ranch, where can they do that? Can I do this? Sure. Okay. You can find us on Instagram at High Bar Cattle Co. That's H-I-G-H, Bar, B-A-R, Cattle Co. And um, on Facebook, the same name, High Bar Cattle Co., And on our website at www.highbarcattlecompany.com. And all that information will be in the show notes. So we would love for you to check out um, what we're doing. And if you have any questions, you can um, look us up that way or you can send, you can look Hyatt up. um, His email is readily available as is his phone number on our website. So anyway, thank you for having, for coming on the show today, Hyatt. I appreciate it. And so, Thank you. And thank you all for joining in to this recent episode of the Beef Podcast. We will talk to you all next week. And don't forget, we have a webinar coming up June 22nd. We hope you all um, register for that and sign on and join us for that. So have a great day.